Father God, we just come before you now and we ask that you would come and speak to us. I believe each person here has a word uh, from you today. And we invite your Holy Spirit to come and to be our teacher, to speak directly into our hearts. We need to hear from you and to receive from you. So God, please come and may your will be done now in, in this place and at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of Matthew is uh, written by one of Jesus' disciples, the person by that name, Matthew, one of his 12 disciples. And as he writes the Gospel stories that, that we have recorded in our Bible, I am sure that there are some that he was right there in the midst of and he experienced. And some of them he may have just kind of caught out of the corner of his eye, like I saw that church leader make his way across the church foyer. And I believe that the events in Matthew chapter 12 kind of read like events that he caught in the corner of his eye. Matthew chapter 12, it describes the Jesus and the disciples coming into the synagogue because it's the Sabbath day. That's what they did every Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was the high day uh, uh, for the Jews. This was their day of rest. This was their day to see family and to see friends. And so we can imagine that the synagogue courtyard is buzzing with uh, excitement as people are there greeting uh, one another and saying hello. As they're there in the courtyard, the Pharisees kind of make their way, mingling among the people as well. And as they do, uh, people give a slight bow of respect. The Pharisees were people that were meant to be respected. They were the religious leaders of the day. And uh, they wanted to be recognized. They would wear these long flowing robes with stones on them or, or other things that would set them apart. And so as they're making their way through the courtyard, everyone is giving them a little bit of respect. But as Jesus and the disciples come into the courtyard, they look very different than the Pharisees. Jesus is wearing just plain clothes, but the people run up to him and they greet him with a different kind of respect than a slight bow. Many of them embrace him with hugs and they, their eyes connect. Jesus has done things for them that the Pharisees could never do. He has healed and he has taught them the word of God. And Jesus commands a type of respect that he doesn't demand by saying, respect me. He has a type of respect Because the people know that he loves them and they love him in return. The Pharisees look at Jesus and even though he was a person that was respected by all, they were fed up with this. They did not like the idea that Jesus would have people greet him in this way. In fact, in some ways, this is how they wanted to be greeted. But no one was coming up and embracing them in this way. And so they had gathered together and said, we got to put an end to this. We need to make sure that this guy is put in his place. And so how are we going to make sure that people could see him for how we see him? And they set a trap. Now, there was a man in the community that was there in the synagogue every uh, Sabbath. And he had a withered hand. 
The Bible doesn't tell us how his hand was withered, if it was from a childhood accident, or maybe he had some sort of disease or illness or a stroke or something as an adult, but he, had, he could not use his right hand. And so this guy, we don't know his name, but the man with the withered hand would be the bait for the trap. The Pharisees pull this guy aside and they bring him up to Jesus and they present him to him and they say, now what are you going to do, Jesus? Will you heal this man's hand on the Sabbath day? And if you do, would that not be an act of work? Now Jesus uh, recognizes what's going on, not just because he's smarter than they are, but because he sees into their heart and they recognize this. They don't have any uh, motivation for actually seeing this man helped and healed They just want to uh, trick him. And so Jesus uh, gives them a story. But it's not a story that's going to challenge them intellectually. It's a story that's going to point to their heart. Who who among you, you, if you have a sheep that falls into a hole, will not take that sheep out on the Sabbath day? It's just a sheep. It's just right here. It's just a small hole. Surely you'll take it out. And would it not be better for, the, for God to heal on the Sabbath day than to let a person uh, continue in their weakness and their illness? And with that, the Pharisees know they have, uh, their trap has not worked. And they exit the scene hotter uh, now than when they, uh, when they came in. In fact, they go and they begin to plot the next thing. And this time it will not just be to put Jesus in, the, in his place. This time it will be to have him put to death. And so they go and they began to make their plans. And as Matthew watches all of this from the side, a scripture comes to mind. You see, Matthew is watching how Jesus interacts with every person. And as he sees how he interacts with those that are healed and those that are crippled and those that have withered hands, and even as he watches how he interacts with the Pharisees, the verse that comes to mind was written some 700 years before these events. The, verse, the verses that come to his mind come from Isaiah 42. In fact, I'm just going to read Isaiah 42, 1 through 4, from Matthew. It's word for word. In Matthew 12, starting at verse uh, 17, it says this. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear uh, his voice in the streets. And now read with me verse 20. This is where we're going to really focus this morning. A bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. I love that picture of Jesus not breaking a bruised reed. A bruised reed would have been just about the the weakest thing you could imagine. 
These reeds would grow up into marshland and they were always in water and so they never hardened. They were so tender and so weak that if a duck came in and landed in the marshland, he'd uh, break it in, a, in an instant. In fact, some of these reeds would be blown over just with a strong wind. And Jesus says that he is so gentle that he will not break a bruised reed. You see, when Matthew watched what was happening among the Pharisees and with the man with the withered hand, this is the verse that came to his mind. He said, Jesus is so gentle even in the way that he confronts his opponents. People that are planning to put him to death, he, he simply tells them a story and seeks to lead them in the way of truth. Jesus is described here in this passage through this prophecy as a servant uh, that God has chosen and his spirit is upon him. It says that he will not quarrel or cry out. We don't see a man using aggressiveness or using hostility to get ahead. But he is a person that wins victory. Notice the end of verse 20. It says, till he has brought justice through to victory. Jesus brings victory, but it is done in a way that is far different than the way the world would expect victory to come. You see, as we have already said, victory we expect to come through getting our own way, forcing our way through. And I want to challenge us this morning to examine our own hearts. And do we sense that as we seek to live the life of Christ, is our lives governed by gentleness or by selfishness and hostility and aggression and those type of things? Would you say that your wife or your husband would say, my spouse is a person of gentleness? Or would your kids say that? Or would your coworkers say that? And I want us to examine our own hearts. And then eventually I want us to examine our own church and say, is this place a place of gentleness? Because that is uh, what I think God is calling us to. Now, gentleness does not mean weakness. In fact, this is the first point of today's sermon. Gentleness requires supernatural strength. It it requires the strength that comes from God. We can't earn it. We can't build up gentleness in our own uh, from our own hearts, our own lives. It just doesn't come naturally. No matter what our personality is, this gentleness that we're going to see from the life of Jesus can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why, as we talk about gentleness, prayer is so important. And having a Christian fellowship is so important because it is going to have to be the work of the Holy Spirit that that is cultivating gentleness in us. It's not natural. It comes from the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in us. It comes from the powerful work of the Holy Spirit in us. Jesus was strong with gentleness because, as verse 18 says here, God's Spirit was on him. Now, when the Holy Spirit lives in us, the Holy Spirit begins to produce things in us, things that don't come naturally, right? What do we call those? The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
When the Holy Spirit lives in us, the Holy Spirit begins to produce in us things that we could never produce on our own. The reason the world is not full of love and kindness and mercy and gentleness and all of those things is because the, whole, because the world, by and large, is not being changed by the Holy Spirit. It is those of us that are believers that have committed our lives to Christ that the Holy Spirit comes and reigns in us that we are able to have our hearts transformed. Because like I said, I, this does not come naturally for me. But I pray, God, by your Spirit, may you be, help me to become a, a more gentle person. Now, there, let me comment here on the Greek word that is used for gentleness in Galatians 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, let me just read a quote from a commentator because this guy knows way more about the Greek and Hebrew words than I will ever know. And so this is helpful for us. One commentator said, This word, together with several others that, were, that are used throughout both Testaments, point to the, to the strength of character. There's that idea. Gentleness is not weak. It points to the strength of character required to ground one's relationship in something other than pride or power. You see, when we are governed by pride or by the desire for power, those are the type of things that will never produce gentleness in us. But when we begin to rely on the power of God and are humble, when we have a reliance upon God that He's going to take care of our lives, and that our lives are not just about promoting ourselves, but that when we begin to embrace those type of things and our reliance on God's power and His protection, then it gives us the freedom to begin to say, I'm going to act in gentleness because I don't have to protect myself. I don't have to force my way in. My life is hidden with Christ and God. And we begin to rely on Him, and then gentleness begins to come. And so here is another point. It shows strength of character, humility, and sensitivity. When God begins to make us strong through the Holy Spirit, then we have things like humility, sensitivity, and gentleness. The world in which we live is a cutthroat world, is it not? We hear of business takeovers. You know what business... I've never heard a business takeover called a gentle takeover. Have you? A gentle takeover. They're, they're usually referred to as hostile takeovers. And that's the world that we live in. And so it's no wonder that when we hear things... When we hear Jesus say things like, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We think, no, they won't. The meek don't inherit anything. It's the aggressive that inherit things. But when we, be, when we begin to embrace the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in us, we begin to see, no, it actually is the meek that inherit the earth. Because Jesus comes to bring a victory. Gentleness is God's, God's game, Jesus' game plan for victory. Because Jesus' victory is not won primarily through military battles or in the boardroom, but Jesus' victory is won in people's hearts. That's what Jesus has come to bring. And the ways of the world will never produce in anyone's heart 
things like love and joy and peace. And am I not right? That is what kind of lives we want to live. Would we not rather have love, lives of love, joy, and peace than its opposite? I would think every one of us would be the first to sign up for that kind of life. And this is the kind of life that Jesus brings. He brings lives of love, joy, and peace. But unrighteous anger and revenge and retaliation and holding a grudge, those things will never win those kind of attributes in our lives. But gentleness will. Gentleness will lead to love, joy, and peace. And so how about you? Are you a gentle person? As you think of your own life and the relationships that you have, even the closest relationships that you have, are they uh, relationships of gentleness? I would hope that some of you, as you examine your own life, would go home this afternoon and have a talk with some of those that are closest to you. And maybe even a time of repentance to say, I know I have not been very gentle all the time. Help me to, uh, please forgive me and be patient with me, but help me to become a more gentle person. And that would be a good application to our sermon. As I said, Pastor Darren and I were up north at the pastor's conference this week, and when we got there, we got the schedule. And uh, I began to look down the schedule, and Darren's supposed to be interviewed for conference pastor this week. But he's not on the list. Three other people are listed to be interviewed in one form or another, and Darren's not on the list. And I thought it was intentional. And so I look at this, and I'll be honest, I got hot really quick. And I pulled the guy aside that was supposed to be leading this conference. And I told him, what is going on here? And he told, and he told me at first that we weren't interviewing Darren. And I thought, come on now. <laughs> We're going to have a fight if you don't uh, change your mind. And I'll admit, I went back to my room that night, few, uh, about an hour or two before I uh, had to go to bed, and so I thought, this is going to be a busy week. Let me work on my sermon. And I start typing these out, and the next day I had to go up to the guy and have to say, I'm sorry, I was not a very gentle person. And gentleness is hard, but it is good. And we ought to continue to repent, and we ought to continue to help one another because this is the type of person and this is the type of church that God wants us to be. I love the image that is used here. Jesus will not break a bruised reed. Repeat with me. Uh, let's say that together. Jesus will not break a bruised reed. Okay, I brought with me some reeds this morning. Now these, are, I don't know if you'd technically call these reeds. These are from the front yard of my house. But they're close, okay? They're close enough. Jesus will not break a bruised reed. Not just any reed. All reeds are weak, but a bruised reed is ready to topple at any second. Jesus will not break a bruised reed. What does that mean? He is careful with each person in their weakness, brokenness, and pain. And some of us come this morning and we will be quick to raise our hands. I am a bruised reed. 
I am going through something very difficult. I'm in pain today. There's emotional, there's spiritual, there's physical, there's relational turmoil in our lives. And I just want to encourage you with this verse that Jesus will not break a bruised reed, that he is careful with each one of us. And he longs to come alongside us and to and to minister to us in our brokenness, in our weakness, and in our pain. There was once a woman who was suffering physically for a long time. She was a woman who had, been, who had an illness that caused continual bleeding for years. She had spent her whole life savings going from one doctor to the next doctor, trying to figure out what was wrong with her. Nothing would work. She had spent all her money and she just kept getting worse. And so she finally said, just out of desperation, I'm going to go and I'm just going to try to touch the robe of Jesus. Jesus was among a, lo- a large crowd. And so when she got, she got close enough, she reached out and just touched his robe. And he could sense that power had gone out from him. And he turned around and he said, who touched me? His disciples said, what are you nuts, Jesus? There's people all around. There's people are touching you all over the place. But she knew what he meant. And so he said it again, who touched me? And finally, the the Bible paints a picture of this woman who is in tears and broken, just coming before Jesus humbly. And she begins to tell him all of her life story. And then Jesus says these words, and I believe these words are words of gentleness. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. There was another woman who was caught in a sinful act in adultery. And I imagine she was caught in the act. She was caught with another man in bed. And the, and the religious uh, leaders grab her and they drag her all the way to Jesus' side. And they expect him to be quick to condemn. Here is a man that upholds the law. And they say, Jesus, do you want us to stone her right now? And Jesus can see what is going on here. The man's not there. The man should probably be there as well, right? But it's just the woman, and she's broken, and she's hurting. And what do we see Jesus do? He kneels down in the dirt, and he begins to write something. And as he kneels there on the ground, uh, he says, Who among you is without sin? The person without sin, let him throw the first stone. And Jesus, there kneeling on the ground, waits until one stone drops and then another stone and another stone until no one is left. And he finally looks up and he looks at the woman in the face and says, where are all your accusers? Neither do I condemn you. Go in peace and sin no more. You see, these are words of gentleness, one person after another. Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And why does he ride into Jerusalem on a donkey? Because it symbolizes that he is a person of gentleness. And as he enters into the last week of his life, there is hostility and turmoil all around him. He will be betrayed by one of his own with a kiss on the cheek. And as he is betrayed, one of his followers, Peter, takes a knife and he cuts off the Roman soldier's ear. But Jesus is quickly to re, uh, quick to rebuke him and said, Not my kingdom. That does not re- represent who I am. 
We're not going to take this with hostility and anger. And he quickly takes the ear and he restores it to the, soldier, uh, to the side of the soldier's face. And then Jesus is led off to be betrayed, to be uh, tried and eventually crucified. And the Bible says that he goes quietly like a sheep before its shears. And when he is before Herod and before Pontius Pilate, one lie and insult is hurled after another. But First Peter tells us that when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And so here is Jesus, gentle, even in the midst of all of this hostility. And eventually he is nailed to the cross. The man to his right, another criminal, begins to shout accusations. Uh, Come on, Jesus, I thought you were the son of man. Get yourself off of this cross. And the person to his left looks at it and says, Who are you? You're going to die here just the same as the rest of us. And then he turns to Jesus and he says, Jesus, won't you remember me? And Jesus says, Today you will be with me in paradise. Even as he is being crucified, he speaks words of gentleness. Now, where's Peter in all of this? Jesus hangs on the cross, and Peter is overwarming his hands by a dumpster fire. And one person after another says, Hey, Peter, weren't you one of them? I recognize you. You were one of his followers. No, I wasn't. That wasn't me. That must have been someone else. A little while later, another comes and, Hey, yeah, yeah, you were him. I saw you with him. I saw you. You're one of his followers. No, no, that, that wasn't me. That was someone else. And then a little girl. Hey, you. I remember you. Yeah, you're one of Jesus' followers. And he gets so mad, he curses at, at her. Damn you. No, I wasn't. And Jesus, as he passes away and dies on the cross... Even though he wasn't there, he remembers all of this. He knows all of this. And what is one of the first things he does after he is raised from the dead? He goes and he finds Peter. Peter's out in the sea uh, fishing like he did before Jesus called him. And And Jesus standing on the shore, Peter doesn't recognize him at first, says, Hey, how's the fishing going? Terrible. I haven't caught a thing all day. Try to throw your net to the other side, Jesus says. Peter's surely thinking, what an idiot. What's it going to matter if I have my net here or five feet over here? But he's desperate. He's been out there all day. What the heck? Let's throw it off on the other side. And sure enough, the net gets so full of fish, he can't even bring it all in. And then it dawns on Peter, there is only one person that could do that. And I recognize his voice now. That must be Jesus on the seashore. And Peter jumps out of the boat and he begins to swim all the way to him. Jesus is there tending the fire. I wonder if he has a fire because Peter warmed his hands by a dumpster fire just a little while ago. But this fire is a completely different fire. Here is not a fire of hostility. Here is a fire for gentle restoration. And he invites Peter to come and to sit with him at the fire. He's cooking breakfast. And after they had eaten, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord. You know all things. You know that I love you. 
And they sit there and they watch for a while the flames dance. And again, Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. And now Jesus responds the way he did the first time. He says, then care for my sheep, feed my lambs. Have you ever thought about those words, feed my lambs? They are surely a a call towards gentle ministry. They sit there a while longer, and again, Jesus asks Peter a third time. Surely three times because Jesus, or because he betrayed Jesus three times. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he says it once again, feed my lambs. And I read all of that, and it is a calling to do the same. In a world filled with hostility and violence, aggression and selfishness, we are called to feed Jesus' lambs, to be gentle. Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will take my yoke upon you and, and take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so we must learn to be like Jesus. I'm going to lead us in a little exercise before we close today, and then I will go through our application very uh, quickly. But I have with us several reads, and this is going to take a little bit of vulnerability, but I'm going to ask some of you to receive a read here, okay? And uh, we have six of them. And so we're going to have these, and these are simply symbolic. We're not going to ask you to share your story right now or anything like that or ever. I mean, this is, your, this is yours. But is there anyone that would be willing to raise their hand and to receive a read who has ever been discriminated against? Is there anyone here that you have ever been discriminated against? Okay, thank you. Is there anyone here who has ever felt like an outcast? You've been in a situation, you've, you've felt like an outcast. Thank you. Is there anyone here who has ever felt like they've been abused? Verbally, physically, emotionally? In any way. And it doesn't have to be over a long extended period of time, but you have felt like you have been abused. Thank you. Have any of you ever felt ridiculed or insulted? You'd say, I can put myself in those shoes. I've felt ridiculed and insulted. Go back to third grade. <laughs> you felt ridiculed or insulted. Thank you. Have any of you ever had a time in your life where you felt lost and confused? You just you you had that sense I feel lost and confused. Okay, thank you. 
And if you have ever gone through a period in your life where you had a deep sense of grief, it was a time of grief. You mourned the loss of someone or something, and you experienced deep grief. Anyone can raise their hand to receive grief. Yes. You guys will share this one. And then lastly, is there anyone here that, have, that has ever struggled with addiction? Okay. Okay, if you have a read, I would just invite you to hold it up high. I just want to repeat for us again. Jesus will not break a bruised reed. This is our church. This is the people of God together with us. We are a church of people who are broken and hurting, who have struggled in one way or another. Jesus will not break a bruised reed and neither will we. We are called to be a church of gentleness. We are called to be a church that comes alongside of one another and cares for one another in our weakness. I have a few applications for us, and I'm not going to go through these in in detail for the sake of time. Uh, But I want to list four. I think it's important for us as we think about being a church of Christ-like gentleness to think how we do greetings and gatherings. How we greet people should be with gentleness. When we gather together, it should have a spirit of gentleness. We could have a... And and sometimes I think when we gather together, and I'm not thinking specifically uh, of any particular instance, though I'm sure if we were to think long enough, we could think of some... But one of the things that hurts gentleness in in gatherings in general is when we are very insulting or when we minimize certain groups or certain people. It's not a very gentle thing to do. I want to encourage us as a church to think about our greetings and our gatherings. Let's do it with gentleness. Corrections and confrontations. Paul said, correcting uh, opponents with gentleness. The ministry of the church always has corrections and confrontations. In fact, it's not a very loving place if it doesn't. We are meant to help one another grow in our relationship with Christ. But may we do it with gentleness. Thirdly, frustrations and forgiveness. As long as we are a church, there will be frustrations. That's inevitable. We are always, there are always going to be times when things are done that we, weren't, that we wish weren't done. And there are times where we have to offer forgiveness. And I just encourage us, when we face times of frustration, to face it with a spirit of gentleness. To offer forgiveness with gentleness in the face of frustration. When we are frustrated. Paul said to the Church in Corinth, this is his second letter. 
In fact, we understand that there's two lost letters. This is actually probably his fourth letter. It was a church of great frustration for him. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10.1, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. May we approach frustrations and forgiveness with gentleness. And lastly, the last application, patience and power plays. I believe that gentleness means that we have a spirit of patience and that we don't participate in power plays. James 1.19, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. West Covina Christian Church, of all our cultural values, all of them are important. And today we are emphasizing the cultural value of Christ-like gentleness. Christ-like gentleness means that we seek to be marked by, the gentle, by gentleness as we challenge each other to live more like Christ. Let's pray. Father God, as we have gathered together today and we have considered these things together, we pray that by the Spirit that lives in us that you would cultivate gentleness among us. Oh Lord God, the gentleness is hard, but it is who you are calling us to be. Help us to love and to care for one another well. And give us strength. Help us to repent. Help us to turn to you and to uh, receive the help that, only, that comes through your Holy Spirit living in us. So we pray that you would help us individually and as a church to be people of Christ-like gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen.